Today is a good day. Today is a good day because uh, God is good, we are alive, and He has a purpose for us. You know, I was thinking the other day, back to when Angela and I were, had just been married a couple of years, and we went camping uh, in Yosemite, tent camping actually, in Yosemite with some good friends of ours. And Alexandra was maybe one year old at the time, and we had only been there one day when all of a sudden, out of the blue, it starts raining cats and dogs. <laughs> Complete downpour. Everything's soaked, everything's muddy. We were using one of those old um, Coleman uh, green uh, canvas tents, and everything was coming through. So we, we just we wadded everything up, threw it in the van, and just got out of there. And in fact, it, start, it, it was downpouring, and then it started snowing. And we had to actually have to put... We had to put uh, chains on to get out of the valley. It was crazy. It was in the first of June, by the way, and uh, it was wild. But that's the way it goes when you tent camp, isn't it? I mean, sometimes, uh, sometimes you choose when you break camp, and other times it's chosen for you. Well, that time it was chosen for us. But usually when you camp, you choose when you're going to go, you choose where you're going to go, and you choose when you're going to come back, unless, of course, you're Abraham. Today we're going to see in the life of Abraham that he and his family did what, uh, is called, what you could call camping by calling. God called, they camped. So let's turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Please stand with me for God's word. Hebrews 11, 8 through 12 is what we're going to read. <clears throat> by faith Abraham, when he was called obeyed by going out to a place where he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith even Sarah herself received ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore there was born even of one man and him as good as dead at that, as many descendants as the stars of heaven in number, and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. And Lord God, we thank you for your word. We pray, Lord, you would teach us today. You would open our eyes and show us wonderful things in your word. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, so far in Hebrews 11, we've seen that faith affects our worldview and our heart attitude. Last week, we focused on Abel and Enoch and Noah. Abel offered his heart to God. Enoch pleased God in his generation. Noah reverently acted on God's promise. And living by faith like those three necessitates us coming to God and seeking Him earnestly, believing He exists. Confident that he rewards faith like that. And the working description of faith in Hebrews 11.1 1 drives the entire discussion. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Now to some this might seem a bit re- unrealistic. Since we live in a time where almost anything goes. A time where there are many challenges thrown at faith like that. But in our context, 
into our context, Abraham comes crashing in. Somewhat of an unwelcome oddity to those who don't believe, but for those of faith, a pioneer, a pilgrim, a trailblazer, showing us the way to navigate the often confusing maze of our pluralistic generation. Abraham stands tall as the great historic example of faith in action. He has a unique, unique place, not only in Hebrew history, but also in salvation history. See, for him, for Abraham, faith meant stepping out into the unknown, leaving the security of what he knew before and going into uncharted territory. So any of us, any among us who either as individuals or families have stepped out of our comfort zone into the unknown because God asked us to, we know what it feels like. We know what it feels like to be Abraham. Terror and excitement at the same time. With Abraham, we see the roots of the great Bible doctrine of justification by faith alone. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as right standing with God. Nothing we can merit, but by faith in an all-powerful, all-knowing, all-seeing God. And faith like that moves in response to a God who is able. It, It shuns the illusion of permanence that we often have in life. And it reaches for a city that has foundations, whose architect, whose builder is God himself. It lives in tents. It builds altars to remember an unseen but living and active and able God. That's the kind of faith I want to have. That's the kind of faith that pleases God. That's the kind of faith God gives as a gift. Now for Abraham, that meant living a life of pilgrimage. Always going somewhere always being on the way. It was characterized by tent and altar. The secular for him was transient. The spiritual was abiding. And so he pitched his tent. He built his altar again and again. Now let's see what it meant for Abraham and what it means for us as well. And first I want to examine this idea of the tent. The tent. What is the significance of the tent? It, it, we've all probably stayed in a tent at some point. You know, there's good things and bad things about living in a tent. You know, as a kid, the good thing is, hey, your family is all together in one room. For a kid, that's great, isn't it? And the food on the camping trip. And playing all day with no agenda but just to go fishing or playing or hiking or whatever. But what did it mean for Abraham to live in a tent? The tent pictures the pilgrim nature of our time here on earth. It's transitory, it's temporary, it's movement versus settling down. Constantly being on the move because God is constantly at work in us. Now those who live in tents can't put down roots. They must hold their dwelling place lightly. It's like when you go to the camping uh, campground and, and they have a limit on how many nights you can stay in one spot without moving. People of faith are on a journey. 
As one of my favorite writers says, we're packing our suitcase for a place none of us has been. A place that has to be believed to be seen. See, they know there's a limit to how long they can stay, and they also know they're on the move to go somewhere else. In chapter 11, verse 8, we read, By faith Abraham. By faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed. And he went out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. What was he thinking? I mean, how often do we just take off? Let's just go. Now, some of us, I know there are some in our group here that go on trips like that, you know, and they just go. But most of us, we, you know, we plan it out. And we figure out where we're going and how long we're going to stay and when we're going to come back. But he went, not of his own choosing, by the way. He went and he didn't know where. Now, we see... In, in the first few verses here, in verses 8, 9, and 10 of Hebrews 11, we see Abraham's faith in, in three distinct ways. First, he, he, he obeyed God's call. He obeyed God's call. Verse 8, we just read that. He moved from Haran to Canaan. Now, he didn't seek God out. God initiated. God sought him, initiated a relationship with him, took hold of him summoned him. When he was summoned, he responded. Now, by the way, the, the, the word used in terms of Abraham obeyed, it, it's in the present tense in the Greek, which indicates his immediate response right away. Now, how many of you parents expect first-time obedience from your kids? Can I see a show of hands? Yeah, right. Okay. Um, some of you are thinking, first-time obedience? Now, I have to say things four times before they even listen. But the goal is first-time obedience, right? Would you please put away the dishes? Well, yes, mother, I would love to put away the dishes. Immediate obedience. And I know every one of the kids in here right now, I can tell by your smiles, that's what you do on a daily basis. You're a model to all of us. We look back thinking we wish we were like you are now when we were kids. Abraham went in first-time obedience. First time obedience. And he didn't know where he was going to go. He didn't have all the facts. He went because God said so. How to get to Haran? Well, earlier, if you, go, if you go to Genesis with me, go back to Genesis 11. We see Abraham being born in, a, in Genesis eleven twenty six. Terah was his father. And you see in, in chapter 11 of Genesis, verse 31, that Abraham moved with his father and their family from Ur of the Chaldeans, which is near the Persian Gulf, to Haran, which is about 600 miles northwest. And then... With his family, you might want to stay here in, in Genesis with me for a moment. When, with his family, he went from Haran to Canaan when he was about 75 years old. That's what we're referring to here. Genesis 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, and his name at that point meant exalted father. His name had not been changed to Abraham yet, which means father of multitude. 
Now the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives, from your father's house, to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and I will make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. And so in verse 4 we read, Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him. And Lot went with him. And he was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. You see, by the way, a contrast between Abraham and the Hebrews being addressed in Hebrews 11. Abraham did not know where he was going. But because of their knowledge of Christ, these Hebrews knew, those of faith, those who had trusted Christ, knew where they were headed. They knew where they were going. But Abraham learned what land God had in mind only after he arrived in Canaan. Look down to verse 7 of, of Genesis chapter 12. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. And he proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the east and Ai on, excuse me, Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. First thing we see him do is obey God's call. And the second thing we see in terms of his faith and action is that he sojourned in the promised land. He sojourned. He, he traveled. It has the idea of a temporary dwelling place versus a permanent residence. Notice that he didn't go alone, but he went with his family. And there's a community nature of faith that we can't miss here. Sojourning was not unique to him alone. He did so as 11.9 in Hebrews now, in 11.9 it says he did so with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of that same promise. The promise was not to Abraham in a vacuum. The promise was not a private promise that God had made only to Abraham. No, he made it to Abraham and to his descendants, which would be as numerous as the sand which is on the seashore. I remember camping with my family as a kid, and I loved it. Again, the, the family was all together in one room. There was food. There was playing all day long. The worst thing they had to worry about is the bears or the possibility of bears. But we always went home. You see, Abraham, he sojourned in the promised land. I'm sure he kept his tent clean and all that, but it was still a tent, not a permanent residence. And the tent was designed to move and to be moved from one place to another. The third thing we see in terms of Abraham's faith in action is that he, he looked with faithful anticipation to the eternal city. Go back with me to Hebrews 11. And you may want to keep your spot there in Genesis. It's an easy place to find, I know. It's right at the beginning of the Bible. But anyway, Hebrews 11 and verse 10. Verse 10 says, For he was looking... For the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. He was looking for the city that only God could build. It wasn't a man-made place. It was a God-made place, a God-prepared place. So he set his sights on the eternal versus the temporal. More on that next week. 
But suffice it to say that his focus was not on what he could see with his eyes. But like Abraham, we're faced with a question. Are we pulling up tent pegs or putting down roots? That's a tough one for me and you, isn't it? It's tough. The tent is our lot in life. But we want to put down roots. Why? Because it's part of being human. That's just the way it is. That's how we are. It's all right. It's not bad. Don't condemn yourself for being human. God made you this way. Uh, The desire to put down roots is not an evil one or a bad one. It's a good thing. It's, It's part of being made in the image of God. That we feel, that we dream, that we hope, that we plan, that we, that we seek security and stability. And we do that and we yearn for that in the midst of such a crazy mixed up world in which we live. It's not bad. You think about right after 9-11. A few years down the road now we look back and why were so many people fixing up their homes shortly after 9-11? They needed a place to feel safe and secure Uh, not a bad thing to remodel your kitchen okay but uh, and I don't think we should feel guilty if we remodeled our kitchen let's say or whatever the problem comes when we sink primary self-defining roots in the wrong places when we sink primary self-defining roots in the wrong places. There was this tree in my backyard a few years back. It started going the wrong way. It started coming from my house. And it, it basically went underneath my patio slab and cracked it all to pieces. Just messed the whole thing up. But God wants us to sink our roots deep in Him. Our primary roots deep in Him and in His Word and in relationships with people. And to have an eternal mindset that affects not only our daily living, but the way we interact with others. See, this world is temporary. The one to come is eternal. And our bodies, our homes, our cars, uh, our businesses, our possessions, you name it. They're all temporary. But what happens is we start to dress it up maybe on the outside or even in, in our minds, and we make it look like it will last. We start to think that the things we're building and the things we're working towards on a daily basis are really going to last for a really, really, really long time. But it's all destined to burn. We know that. But there's this illusion, there's this mirage of sorts that, that happens to me on Monday morning. <laughs> Or maybe it's Sunday afternoon. See, right here with you, it's, it's, uh, the, the, the vision is more clear. It, things become a little perspective. But when I drive away and I go back to my place of abode, the illusion comes back. This illusion of permanence. Everything's destined to burn that we're gathering. But all the more reason to be building on the eternal versus the temporal but we're looking for a stable place to dwell on earth. This uh, cosmic sphere that is hurling for destruction. So there's this illusion that somehow what we see in our building will last forever. But, 
what we have to do is actively resist the eroding illusion of permanence in our lives. This eroding illusion of permanence. And it will be a struggle for us until we go to be with Jesus or until he comes back to take us with him. But let me ask you, where in your life have you seen this, the illusion of permanence, permanence begin to erode? Uh, cracks in the pavement. Maybe it's in your health or your family or your career or your friendships or something. But see, we get attached to things like a house and a car and a job and a full fridge. <laughs> in fact, we take it all for granted, but we know it's not for granted. It is granted as a gift. It's a gift and it's temporary. And it can all be taken in an instant by the one from whom all blessings flow without apology. One thing we can be sure of is that God is good and he always does what is right. I love Philippians 4.19. My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. He will do that. But tents by nature are temporary. Uh, they're built for perm- they're not built for permanent dwelling. Think about Abraham with me for a minute. The only piece of real property he owned was a burial place, a burial site in the promised land. The only piece of real property he owned in the promised land was a burial site. Isn't that fitting for a man who was always on the move <laughs> and looking forward to his real homeland, that city? that has foundations, real, immovable foundations. That city that is the home of all who have looked by faith to that city in every age. Heaven itself. Heaven. You see, with this kind of pilgrim mindset, material possessions were never priority one with Abraham. With that same spirit of pilgrimage, we realize We have nothing enduring here on earth. In fact, if you're in Hebrews 11, just flip over to Hebrews 13 for a moment. We will be there someday. But for now, look at Hebrews 13, 14. Right after saying, let us go out to Jesus outside the camp, bearing his reproach, the writer says, for here we do not have a lasting city. We do not have a lasting city here. But we are seeking the city which is to come. Go with me for a moment to Psalm. If I can remember what Psalm I have in my head to go to. Huh? Go to Psalm 49. That's the one. Psalm 49. And look over with me at verse 11. Verse 10, it says, He sees that even wise men die and stupid and senseless alike perish and leave their wealth to others. Their inner thought is that their houses are forever and their dwelling places to all generations. They have called their lands after their own names, but man in his pomp, man in his honor will not endure He's like the beasts that perish. Go down to verse 18. While he lives, he congratulates himself. And though men praise you when you do well for yourself, he shall go to the generations of his fathers. They will never see the light. Man in his honor, yet without understanding, is like the beasts that perish. Put it forward to today. 
anyone in their honor without Jesus will be like the beast that perish. Come to Jesus, you will not perish. Now, Abraham lived in tents, but he did something else while he lived in the tent. All the time he was living in the tent, or most of the time, let me say most of the time he was living in the tent, he kept his eyes or his focus on the altar. What do I mean by altar? It's a place of, an altar is a place of offering, it's a a place of worship, it's a place signifying devotion and surrender and identification. And Abraham worshipped God while living in temporary circumstances. We see him going beyond the scene to God alone. Abraham and Sarah. Abraham and Sarah, because Sarah is here in verse 11. By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive, even beyond the proper time of life. Very interesting here. Received ability. It's the Greek word dunamis. Uh, it means power. It's, it's where we get our English word dynamite, just like in Romans 1.16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God and salvation. Same word. She received power to conceive even beyond the, re- the normal time of life. So Abraham and Sarah, they celebrated a God who specialized in things thought impossible. And in their case, it was a pretty significant thing. Uh, Bearing a child, producing a son in old age. The son was promised, and and while they hit a few speed bumps in the road, speed bumps of their own making, like trying to get the son of promise in their own way, in their own time, things like that, nonetheless, over the long haul, they believed God. They kept kept with uh, that focus on trusting God. Uh, Again, go back to, to Genesis with me for a moment. And in Genesis... Chapter 17, in verse 19, right after they had tried to get the son of promise in their own way, right after Abraham is crying out, oh, that Ishmael might live before you, wanting desperately for him to be the son of promise, God says, actually, Abraham did this, 17 Uh, Go to verse 17. Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Well, a child be born to a man 100 years old, and will Sarah, who is 90, bear a child? And then he says, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you, God. But God said, No. Verse 19. No, but Sarah, your wife, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. So the son has been promised. Verse 21, my my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you at this season next year. That was the promise from God. And in chapter 21, Isaac is born. Look at verse uh, verse 1 of Genesis 21. Then the Lord took note of Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. So Sarah conceived, received power to conceive, and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the appointed time of which God had spoken to him. And what did they name the child? Isaac, just like God said. Not only was Isaac born in due time, but a whole succession of generations of people of faith in every age, including you and I. 
Now, it can make us feel a little bit inadequate to have Abraham as an example. I understand that. I mean, how can we experience God as a supplier of our every need like he did? I mean, here's Abraham worshiping in the midst of living in tents, worshiping God in the midst of uncertain times, not knowing where he's going, but knowing who was leading him. A great example to us of what we're call, doing what we're called to do, to focus not on the situation at hand, but a God who has the situation in hand, worshiping God in the midst of uncertainty. Again, we looked in Genesis 12 earlier, but he built an altar. When he got to the land of Canaan, he built an altar. He signified his identification with God. With worship, reliance upon God, upon the living God. But did Abraham build an altar everywhere he went? No, he did not. And a closer look at Abraham, going to Genesis 12 again, a closer look at Abraham reveals some chinks in the armor and uh, some areas where we can definitely relate to him. Because of the famine in Canaan, and we see this in Genesis 12 and starting in verse 10, because there was a famine, he took his family down to Egypt. Now, it's important to note, he did not take them back to Ur of the Chaldeans. It's a good thing. But he went down to Egypt. Now, I've said this before, but when you, when you look at the life of Abraham and you see Egypt, nothing good usually happens when he's in Egypt, okay? It's kind of a code word for, in Abraham's life for sin and, and going to a place he shouldn't go. But while he was in Egypt, he got himself in trouble. He told his wife to tell a story. And what happened was Pharaoh took Sarah as his wife, was about to take Sarah as his wife. And God struck down Pharaoh and his house with plagues because of Sarah. And so Pharaoh calls Abraham and says, what what were you thinking This is your wife. Take your wife and go. Leave town. They had to escort him out of town. But look what happens next. Look in chapter 13. Abraham went up from Egypt. Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev, and he and his wife and all that belonged to him and Lot with him. So where are they going to go? Where are they going to head? It says Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and gold, and he went on his journeys from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning. He retraced his steps. Kind of like Pilgrim in Pilgrim's Progress when he left his scroll and had to go retrace his steps to find it. He went back where he had started. He got back on track with God. Look what he does. It says he went back to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai to the place of the altar which he had made there, formerly. And there, Abram called on the name of the Lord. What we see him doing here is reinstating his worship of God. Even after he messed up, Abraham continued to worship God, and so can we. For example, maybe you've fallen. Maybe you've fallen really, really bad and skinned everything up. You got raspberries all over You're scraped and you're bruised and you're broken. And God knows. And God sees. And God God wants to pick you up and dust you off and, and put you back in the race he's called you to. 
He wants you to acknowledge him, to turn to him in confession and repentance and accept his forgiveness. Abraham and Sarah, they made mistakes. They both made mistakes. But part of living in Christ for us is continuing to worship God even when we fail. Even when we feel like we can't show our faces at the throne of grace. Abraham and Sarah both stumbled, they both made big mistakes, and they sinned and they fell short. We can find that pretty quickly in Genesis. But God was gracious, God was merciful to them. And we can't forget Sarah. She's listed here in Hebrews 11. But you've got to remember something. She was not a great example of faith in Genesis. Do uh, you remember back a, a bit here? Hers was one of doubt. One of doubt. Um, but again, another example of how faith is a gracious gift from God, not something we work ourselves into. Uh, look at Genesis 18 with me. Genesis 18. In verse 10. When God is reiterating to Abraham, verse 10, he says, I will surely return to you at this time next year, and behold, Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now, Sarah was listening in at the tent door. God had already asked Abraham, where's your wife? He says, oh, she's in the tent. Well, she's listening at the door. She had a cup to the door. She's listening in. And, and, she's, and she's, as she's listening she hears what God says, and she laughs. She laughs to herself and says, after I've become old, I'm going to have a baby. Well, come on, give me a break. And God says to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Is anything too difficult for God? At the appointed time, I will return to you, and this time Sarah will have a son. Now, Sarah denied it, and she says, I, I didn't laugh, because she was afraid of God. And, and God says, yes, she did. It's not good to have these kind of arguments with God, I'll tell you what. <laughs> You're not going to win. Um, but, but in Sarah, we see a wonderful example of believing God when we can't believe our eyes. She could not believe her eyes. There's no way in the world I'm going to have a baby at this age. Now, I want you to turn to Genesis 21. I want you to see something here. When Isaac was born, what an example of the grace of God here. It says in verse 2, Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, at the appointed time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, who Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said this. This tells a lot about Sarah's character. This tells a lot about where her heart was at. Sarah says, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh with me. Laugh in praise to God. Laugh with joy. See, what what she's doing is she's acknowledging God. She, at this point, is in awe of God. And she says, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Sarah's a great example of believing God when we can't believe our eyes. And she's in Hebrews 11 because she believed God. Oh yeah, she laughed at first. But then she believed. 
and it came about just as God had said. You see, when all signs point to the contrary, but God has promised good to us, we can rest on the promise. When we feel blind, when we feel completely unable, we can rest in the promise. It is, the pain doesn't go away, though. You know what I'm saying? Resting in the promise doesn't mean the pain goes away. Now, think about Israel in the promised land. God says, go in, but they say, well, the giants are big, and their cities are all fortified, and we can't go in. They're too big for us. They're too strong for us. God said, go. See, God knows the plans he has for us, plans to, to prosper us and not to harm us, plans to give us a future and a hope. That's why it's a good day today. Um, see, although we live in a radically different time than Abraham and Sarah did, in terms of culture, in terms of what we see, uh, physical surroundings, progress and all that, we live with very similar spiritual issues. With, we live with a very simil- similar spiritual challenge. That of living between tent and altar. Of living in the temporary while worshiping the eternal God. And in Christ we have encouragement to go forward. And tests of faith will be provided in abundance. We can be sure of that because Jesus promised it. John 16, These things I have spoken to you so that in me you might have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. Now Abraham built his altars to worship God while on his pilgrim journey. And when God asked him to, he put his son on an altar. We're going to see that in a few weeks. But when he was tested, he responded in worshipful obedience. So when God said to him in Genesis 22, take now your son, your only son whom you love, and go to the place where I will tell you, and offer him there as a burnt offering on the mountain, Abraham did the same thing he did when he was called in Genesis 12. He went immediately. First time obedience. Just like all the kids here. Uh... To close this, I'd say this. Remember when Abraham, in Genesis 22, said to his men, I and the lad will go yonder and we will worship and return to you. And then he put his son on an altar right there on Mount Moriah. It's a significant thing that the supreme test of Abraham's faith was on a mountaintop not far from where Calvary stood. You see, Moriah is usually associated with Jerusalem. It's the place where Solomon built his temple. And there is where Abraham offered his son back to God. He offered his promised son to him. Now we know that a ram was sacrificed in place of Isaac. Uh, A signpost pointing to the cross of Christ. But never was a person closer to the heart of God than when Abraham offered up his only begotten son. The only son of promise. To God. Abraham did not have to sacrifice his son, but God sacrificed his. Abraham's knife was drawn back in the nick of time. God's knife went all the way. And because of that unique moment in history, then we can live humbly and courageously in light of anything that comes our way. I remember when I was a kid, Again, tent camping with my family. We were camping in the eastern Sierras, uh, up at Tinamaha Creek, up near Bishop. 
And I remember one night, someone's house, excuse me, someone's tent burned down to the ground. Middle of the night. It was close to our tent. But I remember when, they, when their tent burned down and the next morning we all went outside and saw, I remember feeling sorry for them. But then I remember thinking this. It's only a tent. They can go home. It's only a tent. They can go home. Same with us. It's only a tent. We're going home. Let's stand, please. Let's stand. I want to... It's kind of like what Paul said in, in 2 Corinthians, chapter 4. Um, 2 Corinthians, chapter 4. Let's close with this. Paul said, 4.16, Therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. God bless you. Have a great day.